And we're we recording. There we go, mate. And my battery's going up this time. It was going down last week. That's why I fucked up. Cool, we're back in the game, mate. Let's do we're it. We're back in the game. And you're not sick. Yeah, I know. Which is great. We'll that, talk about that in a second. Okay. I'm bringing us in. Uh, let's see. One bar of four, one bar of seven. Okay. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Bang on the money. Banging the Ooh. money. Back in the you game. Should hear it. You should hear it in my headphones. <laughs> You're about 19 minutes late, but I know that that's just that intercontinental transatlantic travel time. Yeah. I'll probably we'll, cut all that out because I don't know how any of it works. Yeah, either do I, mate. But we were bang on the money, I'm pretty sure. Bang on the money. Good anyway. to see you. Good to see you healthy. I know, man. A, a day or two late on the podcast because you had... <laughs> The voice notes were amazing. Like, <laughs> look, I know that, like, everyone, you just have to understand. He's sending me notes going, uh, look, here's the deal. <laughs> I, I know that COVID's serious, and it's terrible to say that I want COVID, but I hope this isn't just a normal cold because I feel terrible, and yeah. I want it to be COVID. <laughs> but it got to that point where I was like, this is COVID, man. If this isn't COVID, I don't know what the fuck it is. I went to the fridge. I put hot sauce in my mouth. Nothing. Couldn't taste a thing. Really? Sh- strawberry jam. Nothing. And I was so blocked up and hey, I get hay fever, right? Big time, like okay. really bad. Do you? Yeah. And okay. I was like, it's not just hay fever. I know it's not. And then I was just coughing and all that kind of stuff. But like I said in the voice note, you know, when you like sprain your leg and it really hurts, but you haven't broken it. Right. So people just think you're being a wimp. It was that right, sort of right, thing. Right. I was you, like, want, you wanted people to be like, oh my gosh. So you got through it and it's like, yeah, just, I don't know, just muscled through it. I ate a couple raw eggs. Got down in the in the basement, did my punching bag, and just kind of knocked COVID out. No, I I mean you sounded rough, buddy, and and it was like you know what? Let's push the podcast back a couple yeah. of days. Um, but I I mean I gotta say, Amber thinks that we don't know anything about each other. I do know now. You rebound quick because when I get a cold, it stays with me for like three weeks. Yeah, you were sick on a Friday, and then Monday you were like, "You want to do the podcast?" And I was like, "Wait, Mate. you said you had COVID. What happened?" <laughs> You're like, I'm fine. Add a couple grenade energy bars. I'm good to go. But I did. I'll tell you what did the trick, right? (laughs) Rona made this like pepper soup. And oh my God. You said that. What is pepper soup? Do you mean actual salt and pepper or do you mean peppers? Yeah, like peppers. Like peppers. And like she chucked a million peppers in there, like onions, like loads of good stuff. I ate that. And honestly, I felt so much better straight away. But it's like, I hate being ill because I hate not being able to do things. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And it was like, it was getting to like the second day and I'd canceled the podcast and I had to cancel those one-to-one lessons as well, which was a real shame. Um, and I was just sort of sat there just being like, oh my God, this is so annoying. So I think my own body and my mind makes me feel better. Do you know what I mean? Right, yeah, I'm yeah. just like, I need to feel I, better. I so let's just feel this. better. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've literally had talks with myself as I was getting that tickle in the throat, just saying, body, I don't have time for this crap right now. <laughs> so figure it out. Do what you guys have to do. I'll be really good to you. We're only going to eat healthy foods, but you have to figure this out. I, I'm in a camp. I got uh, the flu once. Like the, probably, I mean, you know, the flu is no joke. It's no joke. COVID's just a hardcore flu. Anyone that's been affected by COVID, I'm sorry if that offended you. I didn't mean it like that. I'm just saying the flu and a cold are very different. Yeah, the yeah, flu yeah, yeah, shuts yeah, you yeah, down. Yeah. You can die from the flu. So anyways, I got the flu during a camp, like day one of a camp. I had never even had a cold during a camp, never been sick. So this is like 87 camps deep in. And I, you know, kind of looked at Amber and I was like, we're in a different place. This is not me having the sniffles because I just came back on a, you know, a flight and I I hugged a bunch of people at Nam. This is I'm I'm not doing good. Like my skin hurts. I'm I'm in trouble. So we go to the to the doctor. You do the same kind of COVID test. They stick the thing in your nose, come back, and he's like, Yeah, you have influenza type A or whatever. You can't be around anybody. And I was like, not an option because three of these people flew in from Thailand. Oh, so yeah, it always so, happens when it can't happen. Why? Totally. I was like, you got it. I was like, Doc, I don't know what you have in the back, Go but it. whatever you would get to save your child, get that because I, I I cannot miss the next five days of education. I'm not, you know, and so and this is like two three years ago. So. But I, I mean, I was in trouble, couldn't move. He's like, okay, the worst of this is going to be over in about 48 hours. We're going to give you some booster shots and all that. So I called Eric Moore because at the time he was about two hours away. And I, I literally called him from my bed, FaceTime on my side. Like, bro, bro, is there any way you get to Folsom, California? And to Eric's credit, 
he didn't even ask about pay. He didn't ask about anything. He goes, I got you, bro. And that was it. And he taught the entire day of camp. The, the campers just showed up for a normal day of camp. And Eric Moore taught from 9 a.m. till 9 p.m. Wow. Went to the bar with him, hung out with him afterwards, like told stories. And so well, that was just, yeah, totally. It, it was like, thanks, man. I'll, I'll never forget that for sure because I was in trouble. And then similar to you, the next day I was like, okay, there's still a little bit of sinus congestion and whatnot, but I'm... I'm me again. I can go teach. So Wait, why why does it always happen like that? Like the last two times I've had a cold, right? The first time I got like really bad flu, cold. Okay. A day before my first ever London drum show performance. Like I said to you on this podcast I remember before, you telling me that. Right? Yeah. Like eating oranges and shit, like stuck in Milan in the winter time. And like just freezing cold, getting back home, eating oranges, getting in the lift at London drum show. And the first thing someone says to me, I think it was Mike Dolbear, he went, oof, you look a bit rough. And I was like, not what I wanted to hear, mate, because I tell you what, I feel rough. I feel very rough. And I'm just about to get on stage and talk to 500 drummers. I'm shitting myself. Oh. And then the first time I'm teaching one-to-one in about six years, right? I get ill. Literally two <laughs> the days best before. Part, the best part is the, the, the voice note leading up to it, like you going... Uh, hey, mate. So I think I might have COVID and I've got some one-to-one classes in a 10-foot tin box. I should reschedule, right? <laughs> I, I immediately got on. the. I think I was in the shower. I was like, yes, reschedule now. I think I told you, like, it's more offensive to cough in front of somebody right now than it is to stab them with a knife. It is. Like, you you cannot mess with it. And you were like, by the time I had told you that, which was two minutes, you were like, bro, I already canceled a month. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah. hate doing it, mate. I hate canceling. I know. People. It's the worst. Yeah. Uh, That's know, what I mean, I mean about the broken leg thing, you know? If totally. I if I could have sent them like emailed them the whole positive test, just saying, Look, right. I wasn't bullshitting. I, yeah. I, I, no, I, I was in do some it, trouble. <laughs> yeah. They're actually running tests on me right now because yeah. they've never seen anybody respond yeah. like this. I've had it, but it's I've pretty had amazing. It more more severe than anyone, apparently. <laughs> so, so far, yeah. they have like a, a COVID meter and I guess I'm at like a 12 out of 10. Yeah, so, yeah, so I've got it bad, but, uh, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to our drumming podcast, <laughs> Drum with Mike and Eddie. Hope you're all doing amazing. Uh, to all of our new patrons, thank you so, so much for supporting this podcast. The reason this podcast is ad-free is because of the amazing patrons. We've got a Zoom hang coming up with all of them where Eddie and I will be doing a group lesson. Eddie will be doing a 10-minute pad lesson. I'll be doing a 10-minute pad lesson. So if you want to be a part of that, please go to patreon.com forward slash drum with Mike and Eddie, or you can just find the link in the description of this podcast. Today, y'all, is story time. So we're going to be sharing some stories with you about things we've gone through. Before we do that, though, I want to pump up one thing. I know a lot of people have emailed, hey, when are you doing the next Camp with Eddie? Can I get in the next one? And they unfortunately, they just missed the dates and the, they missed the sign-up time and it was sold out in minutes. So uh, to any of you that live in the UK, Eddie and I are doing another camp uh, with AJ Roussel and it's called the Drummer's Odyssey Camp. And all you have to do is just go to thedrummersodysseycamp.com. Uh, if you're anything like me and you have no clue how to spell Odyssey, it's O-D-Y-S-S-E-Y, thedrummersodysseycamp.com with AJ Roussel. It's going to be me, you, and Debbie Knox Houston teaching, and uh, we'll all have our own rooms, and it's just going to be a great vibe. So if you're somebody that either wanted to come to our camp and just couldn't get in or wanted to come to our camp, but maybe the travel was just too expensive, we will be in... That's happening in Bristol, right? Yeah. And um, I tell you what I'm going to be doing a week before that camp. Tell me. Sitting in a room, eating oranges, mate. Just in case. <laughs> Just in case, you know. Yep. S- same with your camp. <laughs> well, yep. with the camp at yours. I'm, <laughs> gonna, I'm not going anywhere, mate. I have a feeling everybody around you is going to be like, do you have scurvy? What is going on with you? What's with all the citrus? Uh, oh, that's God. it. Yeah, I, I'm kind of freaked out because I don't know where my immune system is now that I've gone almost two years without NAMs and clinics and teaching camps. And it's going to be weird the first time my body interacts with like a solid crisp high five yeah. with just a random person. Like my body's going to be like, oh, wow, you're an alien. You just got like all these new things happening. So it should be fun. So if you guys want to attend that, please hit that up. I think it's about three quarters of the way sold out right now. Um, but they've uh, AJ's put on amazing camps in the past. So I'm really excited about that because that's the only way that I ever do drum camps 
outside of my place. I mean, I literally built this studio only for drum camps because I could have done the online thing from from home for the rest of my life. But this place was built for camps. So when people say, oh, you should do a camp at our place here. And I'm like, you don't have the facilities for it. Like, I really have something that was custom made for this. But the only way I do camps is if it's different than what I do here. So I've done, obviously, 21 drums in Ireland. um, And then I did one in Athens, Greece. And then I'm doing this one. And it was because when AJ pitched it, I was like, that's very different compared to how I do my camps. And that's super appealing to me. And I think everyone will have a blast doing it. Cannot wait, mate. Cannot wait. It's going to be be a lot of fun. fun. And Debbie's amazing, mate. She's so cool. Cool, cool. It'll be my first time meeting her and getting to hear her play. So you ready to get into story time? Can't wait, mate. Let me, uh, before you, before we dive into story time, let, let, explain why you've moved over to a Sony camera. Slow this is a, your this is a, roll. <laughs> All right. This is a bit of a, this is taking me by surprise, mate. I'm a bit shocked. Especially since I told you when you were buying your Canon, don't even consider a Sony. Mate, Canon is the only way to go. Everyone around <laughs> me, like the guy who I do the sneaky thing with, he's on Sony. Charlie's on yep. Sony. Another guy's on mm-hmm. Sony. Me and you are the only people who were on Canon. Now I feel like I'm left on my own, mate. I feel like I'm no, on, no, no. on a desert island I'm, by myself. I, I, okay. First of all... <laughs> The other people that are on Canon are people that make a living doing this. So don't worry about it. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like Spielberg. Um, <laughs> he's not using a Canon. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but okay. So I'm still, this is being done with a Canon. This is my C70. My studio is still all C70s. This is actually a, a topic before we dive into story time that I think is important for everybody. So this right here, if you're watching on YouTube, this is the can. Uh, excuse me, the Sony FX3. Uh, cinema camera. I definitely would not consider it to be a true cinema camera, but it's it's the baby in their cinema line. It's very handheld. It's very modular. Like there's screws. It basically has a cage built into the body. So the where, where you would screw on a monitor or a microphone or whatever, it's all over the body. So you don't have to build a cage. Um, so anyways, my travel camera, my vlogging camera has always been a bit of a problem. So you have the EOS R, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I went, I had that, loved it, told you to get it over the Sony A7 III. I still believe that because of the color science and because of the ease of use. I loved that EOS R. That was my buddy. And I had like a bond with it. Then after that, I was like, you know what? I want to try out Leica. I want to see what the big kids are using for photography. I got that. Unfortunately, it just wasn't a very good video camera. It was an amazing photography camera. So then Canon came out with the EOS R5, which is their big dog camera. And it had like the same amount of megapixels for photography as uh, as the Leica. For photography, eh, it's important for zooming in. Like if you don't frame your shot perfectly, right. it's nice to have those extra megapixels to zoom in, crop, and you're good to go. On Instagram, it's not going to matter one bit. Megapixels are a joke. So anyways... I got the EOS R5 and I was like, this is going to be my new thing. It's got RF lenses. It's going to be amazing. I've had it now for, I don't know, maybe seven or eight months. I wish I had the R over the R5. Really? Yeah. It's the, the features that you get with it are almost unusable because of their file type. So they're, they're recording their good 120 frames per second in H.265, which Basically, the only computers that can really do anything with that type of footage are the new M1 Max, and I'm a PC guy. Um, that's why I've bought that M1 oh, uh, 13 right. laptop yeah, that makes sense. twice now. Yeah, that's why I keep say, buying yeah. that because yeah. I just want to be able to use my footage. Honestly, I it's just so we don't bore everybody to death, the Canon EOS R5 is a frustrating camera, and that's from somebody that shoots video and pictures all day long. It's just not a fun to use camera. And then because of that, it's not inspiring. It doesn't make you want to pick it up. Yeah. Well, around that same time, Sony released the A7S, uh, A7S3, which I was like, I don't care. doesn't mean anything to me. But then they released this thing, the FX3. And there's an appeal to this body. This body style is very, um, if anyone follows like high-end camera world, it's very Hasselblad. It's very modular and blocky. Um, Does look nice. And it's just kind of like, it looks like it came out of like a German museum. Like yeah. it's an efficient camera. And and so that part, I won't, it's just like drums. It's like, well, if the camera looks cool and you want to pick it up, you're inspired to shoot with it. Exactly. But they really improve their color science. They really, and it has 
the 120 frames. And the most important part is it is the files are really easy to use. All computers can decode them very easy. So all I was doing was like, all right, I'll check it out just so I can return it and know that I'm canon through and through. The damn thing's amazing. <laughs> uh, I, I'm keeping it. Okay. But I'm not changing out my studio cameras, at least at the moment. Uh, I've been doing a lot of A-being between this, the Sony FX3 and the Canon C70s, which are what I'm using right now. And it's what I film all of my videos with. There's something that Canon has, man. Like, it just takes more work with the Sony to get yeah. my skin look right than it does with the Canons. Uh, so I'll just say that. But but anyways, I, I this is my new buddy. So I'm actually, the R5 is getting packaged up today and it's being sold. So, wow. Um, but the scary thing is like, well, what if I like this? Then it's like, okay, I have like 12 lenses that fit Canon. And it's like, oh, God, I don't want to go I was through say, this do, again. Do those Sigma lenses fit that camera or no? No. I mean, oh, you could get an adapter God. maybe, but I, I don't like adapting lenses because then you're putting more stuff in between the lens and the sensor. Sometimes it's a piece of glass if it's yeah. a speed booster. Yeah. Uh, sometimes maybe the autofocus doesn't work the way it should because the electronics aren't totally stable. Um, I'd rather just have what's considered native glass. Also, it pushes your lens out further. And I like a com. I mean, like I said, this is my travel camera. This is my buddy. This isn't what I'm going to be shooting my videos with. But it has what I need. It has a full size HDMI out so I can stream with it. It has USB out that I could do webcam stuff with like when you and I are doing the podcast. So my traveling camera is always it's a tricky one because it does need to take pictures. It, I do want to take some snaps when I'm out and about. So anyways, checked out the Sony FX3. So far, I'm in love with it. We'll see what happens. Um, yeah. Mate, but, I, like, but I hate, I, I, I really want to take a black Sharpie and black out the Sony logo. It's just, <laughs> they do look sick though. Me. They do look good. Yeah. Like I was around Charlie's house the other week doing his podcast and I was just like, oh, they, they do look, they do look good. I just love Canon, mate. I love the way they work. And it's so funny. Like I've got the, yeah, the, the, the R, two of them. Yeah. Um, but actually tomorrow, I'm going to try and shoot like a vlog and I okay. might bring out, this is going to make you fuck. The old one? Gonna, this is going to make you annoyed. I actually might bring out the, the point and shoot. Yeah. Because. I, I, I get it. It's, it's like what you said. It's like, if it's just easy and it's just there and it makes you, you feel inspired to just shoot with it. Um, yeah. And like when, you, when I'm in my car and when I'm out and about, it's so easy to flick up the camera. I wish they did an upgrade. Uh, they have done an upgrade on the one I've got, but there's not much difference. It just shoots in 4K. And like you said, no one's going to watch that footage in 4K anyway. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah. But yeah, it's funny. So all I think all the good looking shots and stuff, I'm going to use that. But I might try I might try the old one when I'm out and about. Yeah, I, I think that, that that's what I've learned over the last few years with kind of going up and up the price scale. This is story time with uh, and about drumming. <laughs> but going up the price scale... <laughs> But people are going to be dying to know this, honestly. So yeah. many people ask me about camera stuff and I know nothing right. about it. As I went up the price scale all the way up to like a Leica Q2, what I noticed was almost none of it matters. What matters is, are you inspired to use it or not? Because in the end, if you have the greatest piece of gear ever, you still have to have the idea to shoot with that gear. Yeah, The gear doesn't just all of a sudden go, you know what your next shot should be? A wide pan shot of Juno running to her bolt. Like that That has to start in your mind. Yeah. Then once it starts in your mind, if the tools get in the way and my R5 was getting in the way because I was like, okay, I can film it. It's going to look great. But then I, my computer can't decode it. So, you know, like then it's choppy on my timeline. I can't really see my cut points, all that kind of stuff. I can't, if I start doing speed ramps, it just completely, my computer starts freaking out. The fan sounds like it's a, a helicopter about to take off. <laughs> <laughs> I have like the, the most high-end computer for video editing workstation. So, so anyway, so yeah, it was just one of those things where it was kind of getting in my way. And then as soon as this thing came out of the box, I was like, that's kind of cool. I kind of dig it. And then I was just like, I was taking it home with me every day after work. And I yeah. just thought, that's what I want. I don't care if it's Sony Hasselblad like a Canon Panasonic. It's like, I just want to dig my stuff. And the reason I bring that up and how it relates to drums is I want you guys to have that with your snare, with your kit. Um, it's, it's not about, do you have the best? It's like, do you have the one that just inspires you? May Whatever I, that is. It's so true. Like I play, I was playing with a, a cracked trash former for about a year, year and a okay. half. 
And that was so funny. Zildjian asked for a video to be posted out. I sent them that. And they were like, Eddie, we can't post out a video of you playing a cracked cymbal. Like, what are you doing? And I was like... Speak good for the brand. They were like, they're going to rinse us in the comments. And I was like, but honestly, it sounds amazing. And and it's technically not like correct, but I love it. But... Right. It's so true because a funny example of this is uh, I follow this kid on YouTube who like does sneaker stuff and he films okay. on a GoPro, vlogs on a GoPro. Okay. And there's no editing. There's no fancy stuff whatsoever. And it's really cool. It's just like, yeah. it's not about the quality here. It's about like just being, just capturing something. I don't know. It's just, it's just, it just works. Anyway, his latest vlog, he hired a videographer and he was like, let us know what you think. Went through all the comments. Everyone was like, hate it. And I watched it really? and it was like, it's not the same, mate. Like, just get your little Bro. shitty GoPro out and just just do your thing, mate. It captures like what you're trying to, yeah. Totally. In the car world, the, the guy that has like the worst quality of content is the guy you did the Lamborghini thing with, TG. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, for like a little bit, he hired a videographer and it was so bad because of how good it was. It was like drone shots. Exactly, and it yeah. was like, no, man, you're... You're the guy that literally has a GoPro in a $700,000 car. And you just, and I always think like, what did you just suction cup that to the windshield? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a Bugatti, whatever, man. And I'm like, okay, but that's kind of cool. That's what makes you you. So it doesn't matter. Like if your thing is quality, go for it all day. But you just don't think that the quality matters anywhere near as much as the intention. And I think what you and I have gone through in the past, especially with drumming, definitely with making video content, is we have the idea. We are inspired. And then we think about the work that's going to go in to make that idea a reality. And we talk ourselves out of that work. Yeah, right? exactly. And we're just yeah. like, well, oh God, and then I have to edit and then I have to put it up then I have to upload it. And then, you know, and it's just like, yeah, I'll just practice instead. Yeah, yeah. So 100%. I think that when it comes to drum gear, camera gear, microphones, Whatever, you know, if, if getting some Neve pre's makes you press record and, and go track yourself and line your notes up to a click, get some Neve pre's. But don't think that Neve pre's will fix your timing with you on a click. Yeah, they won't. Exactly. Yeah, they exactly shan't. Right. All right. It is story time, brother. Let's get into it. <laughs> Our first topic of story time is the moment that you realized all your hard work had paid off. And obviously that's going to happen over and over and over again throughout our career because we're always working towards something. But do you remember a specific moment where you're like, okay, I'm I'm not a loser? Yeah. <laughs> Never. <laughs> I felt like I'm, I'm, I, mate, okay. I'm the biggest loser That's there is, mate. I still... <laughs> Yesterday, oh, I, I was thinking you say like... you've never felt like a loser. I was no, like, well, that's where we differ because I always Come feel on. like one. <laughs> Literally, yesterday, I was looking in the mirror and I was like, what, what, what am I doing in life? <laughs> what, what is this drum thing? <laughs> what am I doing? That's oh normal. I think every what musician going goes for? I think every musician yeah. goes through that bit. You're totally. like, am I cool? Or is this just fucking... <laughs> Did it pass me by? <laughs> Why okay, am so... I starting to use phrases like, in my day, yeah. <laughs> that's when it's or over. The back in the day, I'm like, mate. Oh, as soon day, as you do what that, what am I doing? Yeah. Oh, okay. God. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. So I've got two. One of them. Bring it. One of them is when we released "Here We Go," that song that you know yes. I had the the, the choking hat. Open high hat. Yep. That was um. That was actually this. Sorry to sound like flipping. You know the the cringest guy, but that was the most played rock song on Radio One in I can't remember the year, 2016 or something, 15. Um, Unreal. And every time I got in the car, every time it was just on the radio. And this is when Radio oh, One was feeling. like. Just the big, it is the biggest station. Uh, no, I think Radio 2 is. But it, it, it was the station that all of our demographic, our age of people listen to. And, and they I, were still listening to radio primarily. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't yeah. anymore. But it was so funny. Like I would always get texts. And like every time I'd walk into a shop or like a cafe, it would be on. And that was when, this was, that was when I was like, this is pretty cool, man. Because you never, that's amazing. that never wears off. I think when you hear a distorted guitar or a cymbal, you're like, oh, hang on a minute. And you sort of zone in. And then when you realize it's your song, you're like, fuck, that's, that's, that's really, really cool. So you sort of stand there and say, everyone, shut up. This is my song on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> or you're just hoping that someone else will be like, is this you? And you're like, yeah, it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's you sort so of like, cool, man. you're like ordering a coffee and they go, so what would you like? And you go, sorry, did you say what song is that? Oh, it's my, that's my song. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, but anyway, I'll have a latte, but that is my song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks for thanks for pointing Do you out. have matcha here? This is my band. <laughs> you do have matcha here. This is my band. This is my song. We're the number one single on the radio. You do? Okay, cool. Can yeah, I just yeah, get yeah. oat milk? This is my band. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I know so many people like that, mate. And then the second time was probably it was a bit of a weird one. It's later on in my career, sort of thing. It was it was fairly recent. It was only it was when I was doing the busted touring circuit, but there's a festival okay. called Slam Dunk in the UK, which is like it's gotten bigger. It's not the biggest festival, but it's like a pop punk rock festival here in the UK. And uh, LTA played it numerous times. And uh, and then Busted got asked to play it as a secret guest. And this is a bit of a weird one for Busted because they're, they're, they, are, they are a rock band, but they're a pop rock band. And right. the boys get nervous about, you know, like punk kids or rock kids thinking they're shit or, sure. you know, yes, what are they doing here? Like their sellouts or whatever there is. And I was saying to them, oh, you guys are successful. We don't like you. Exactly that. Exactly that. Totally. Um, And Charlie had that with his like rock band. Like he got a lot of hate for that, which was stupid. But so we're on the way there. And, you know, I remember their manager calling me saying like, we've got this offering. Do you think it's a good idea? And I was like, well, I just, yeah. I guarantee you everyone there is going to love Busted. Not only that, every band playing is going to be on stage watching Busted because they love Busted as well. And uh, we're on the way there and everyone's kind of nervous. No one knows how it's going how it, how to go. You know, we're, we're like a secret guest. No one even knows we're there. Wow. We're there. And then, uh, and then the word sort of spreads and then people see that they're there. And, and then we go to play and I start the first song and then I look around and it's just all of my mates from all these other bands. They're loving it. And the tent, we played in this tent that was two stages in this one tent. Okay. So a band played while the other band was setting up and, and then it yep. switches. You you couldn't even get near the tent. It was absolutely, really? literally, you couldn't get near the tent. It was absolutely rammed and it was a really cool feeling of being like, yeah, I've done, I've done this with LTA and that was amazing. But now I'm back here with Busted, like this band that I used to listen to as a kid. Not only that, yeah. like all my fellow touring mates and, and friends are here watching me in the next step of my career. And it was just a, it was just a really cool sort of yeah, moment yeah, yeah. where like that sounds amazing. two worlds just sort of collided, um, which was wicked. There's a difference. There's a difference of feeling when someone's watching you, like when they're just kind of supporting. And then you, the difference between that versus when you can feel they're proud and like, they're kind of, they're on your side. It's not like, well, we're supporting, but we're also jealous and he's a dick. It's <laughs> yeah. like, like, oh man, thanks for being here because this is a moment and it wouldn't be the same moment without you guys watching, supporting and and really having that vibe in your heart that you're happy that this is happening for met, this band and you're enjoying it. And, and it was just so fucking cool, man. Like just seeing the look on the boys' face, like when they were like, yeah. oh my God, like we the are, relief. we are cool. Like no one's throwing a bottle at us. And I was like, I, like, I told you, mate, you're like, everyone loves your band. It doesn't matter if just because you do Wembley and O2 Arena that you're not cool. Like, you are cool. And it was just wicked. It was so fun. So, I so bet. fun. I mean, can you imagine how many times the Foo Fighters have probably gone through that, through different, oh, like, well, yeah. now we're the biggest band in the world. And it's like, but you're still Dave Grohl, man. Like, you still speak up when the time is right. And so I think, and Charlie has that in him too, where it's like, in the end, you didn't pull the wool over anyone's eyes. You know, you can sing, you can perform. You're a badass. Like, it, I think in the end, that's one thing. Well, even when we, um, I mean, you probably experienced it much more than we did, but the few shows we had with Blink were not pop punk shows. It was Deftones, Corn, Simon Says, and Blink. So they were the odd man out and they weren't liked as they walked out to the stage compared to the other bands until after the first song. And then everyone was like, whether you like it or not, these guys are killing this. Yeah, They are exactly. crushing this. And there's like a, and I, I could totally see that happening for you guys. Well, that's awesome, man. I'm stoked that you've had those experiences. Yeah, it was good. It was good. It was like at the point where like all security were like, everyone get away from the stage. And I was like, nah, they're fine. <laughs> yep. Bring them in. Bring them closer. You know? I love it. Yeah, it was Absolutely brilliant. Love uh, what about you? When did you realize you weren't a loser? Oh, that was so good. There's got to be so many. There's got to be so many moments where you're just like, yeah, I've just smashed life. (laughs) (laughs) Just, that's not. Oh my God. Even opening a Sony box going like, I can't, I can't post this. People are going to ridicule me for saying that Sony's crap. Okay. Um, so similar to, (laughs) I don't even know where to start, dude. Especially if people knew like our true voice notes behind the scenes. I know, mate. Go on. I'm gone. <laughs> okay. So in, in all reality, there was 
a a lot of self doubt and a lot of industry doubt when I left the touring world to pursue education. And it, keep in mind, it wasn't online education. It was I'm quitting my band and I'm leaving the touring world behind. I'm not joining, you know, Smash Mouth or something. Like I'm leaving this world behind to teach private drum lessons. So obviously there was like it, it was tough, you know. Like I mean, the as much as we joke about the like that thing, that was like one of my first gigs after playing like t- touring with tour buses and stuff. All of a sudden I'm wearing a Hawaiian shirt playing a dinner party and it's like, what did I do? Yeah. Like where is it where is this going? Yeah, like uh, did I make the biggest mistake of my life and 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 these guys are telling me like hey, I'm really not feeling your time and I'm like uh dog, I was just playing like <laughs> Reading Fest. Like what are you talking yeah. about? You're not feeling my time. So anyways, a lot of self-doubt. Obviously, the industry was like, I think you've made a huge mistake, like as far as my endorsements and stuff. Um, really, the only one that stood behind me was Aquarian. Probably why I'm still an Aquarian artist. When I left, I said, look, if you want to drop me, I get it. I'm going to teach people. I'm going to teach people one-on-one all day long in a music store. They're like, we didn't sign your band. We signed you. You're Love good. That. Yeah. I was like, okay, that's crazy. Amazing. So anyways, then obviously the online thing starts to happen. Once again, I sell my business and everyone's like, you've lost your mind. You have a successful brick and mortar business. You have seven teachers underneath you that all pay you 20% of their income. And you're going to sell that to teach on the internet. You've lost your mind. So I went through the whole thing again. I was like, did I just, and now I'm married. So I'm like, oh God, like, uh, how do I tell my wife? Like, I'm good with going back to Top Ramen. How do I tell her <laughs> we're going back to that? So I was like, oh, God, I did it again. Um, so anyways, then I start doing the online thing. It starts to happen. I start doing clinics. So the moment that I realized it all is going to be okay was PASIC 2013. Um, PASIC, for me as an educator, that was always my, that's like the the Mount Rushmore of clinics or of drum festivals because it's attended basically by university students it's it's attended by students of the instrument you know what i mean like yeah, the yeah. crowd at PASIC is not the crowd at your normal drum show or drum festival these are people that are trying to get a degree in percussion or in drumming and so it's a very sophisticated drumming crowd i've been in the audience many times for it and always been like whoever i sit next to we can have a true conversation about metric modulation it's like wow this is a this is a very intelligent crowd so getting added to that festival was a big deal Went through the exact same thing that you said about Busted, which was I'm backstage. I'm like, why on earth did they put me on the main stage? I'm, a, I'm an online teacher guy. I, I've, you know, no one in the in this world knows that I used to be in a band or that I used to tour. Like, all I have is my YouTube cred, which I had the imposter syndrome of like, that's not real. That's not enough. And the main room is massive. It holds 1,500 people. Wow, like, that is, what? That is big for a clinic. Right. I'm like, wow. put me in this in the room with like the neon lights and stuff like put me in the cafeteria. <laughs> that's where um, and that's where I expected to be. So anyways, walking out on that stage, seeing the room packed from front to the back seat and then it going well and seeing my ARs from the companies on the side, knowing that Dave Weckl is literally tuning his kit because he's coming up next, like behind the stage. And I was on right after Chad Smith and. That was the moment where I was like, okay, I think it worked out. You know, I didn't think like I've arrived or I'm a badass. I just thought like where I placed my chips, where I put my bet, it it worked out. I'm going to be okay. And now I know that I can do it again anytime I need to. Like I know that I can bet on myself. And because of what I've always said to you on this podcast, because of being a bit of a hustler, (laughs) We both have that in common where it's like, dude, I will scrap until this works. At no point will it be like I give up on myself. I'll doubt myself all along the way, but I'll never give up on myself. I know I can make this work. I just haven't figured out the way to make it work yet. So that moment and then getting like a standing ovation, I I like ran off. There's video of me like running off the stage because I started crying. Yeah, mate. It was the relief of like, fuck. I'm going to leave that F-bomb in there. Just like, okay, it finally worked out. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, like, mate. I gotta I'd, go. I'm gonna go cry. Yeah, mate. I did the same at London Drum Show. I think I hit it quite really? well. I just got so over emotional. It's just like, like you know, I smashed it. Well, I didn't smash it. I, fucking, I didn't. I didn't play anywhere near as good as I wanted to. But it, I didn't. <laughs> it didn't go horribly wrong. Right. And like Ronan was like next to me, on stage, 
my best mate Big D who teched for LTA was there okay. and it was just like oh god if, if I can imagine it feels like how Logan Paul feels now after going eight rounds with Mayweather do you know what I mean that like 100% oh my god like it's done it's like, not it, I, I think honestly because of the imposter syndrome that you and I both go through and and honestly, I don't care how good looking, talented, in shape you are, how great you are at the drums. Everyone has these issues. Oh my god! Yeah. Because of that, it wasn't like a fist pump. Like oh, like you said, I didn't crush it. What what I didn't do though is I didn't embarrass myself. Yeah, I was yeah. proud. And I think like getting to that point in your drumming where you're proud of what just happened is so much better than I nailed it. I'm faster than everyone else. I'm more coordinated. It's like. Are you proud of what just happened? That's still my favorite thing I've ever taken from my friendship with Mark Juliana is we were listening to some of his stuff. I've sent it to you, the the song that starts with the typewriter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so we were listening to that like, you know, a few years ago in Ireland because um, he taught that to the students. I mean, it's a very famous song for him, but it is his high school band. And I'm like, man, I just can't imagine what it would be like to like, if you showed any of these people, my high school recordings, I would, I would, I would cringe and cry. It's so bad. And he's like, that's the one thing that I feel really good about is in my career, you can't find anything that I've recorded that I'm not still proud of. Mm. And he was not being cocky in any way, but it was like, that's a pretty amazing thing to say. Like between his high school band and recording black star with David Bowie, he has the same amount of pride in both projects. Yeah. And it's like, wow. Amazing, did he record man. for David that's, Bowie? He did black star. Ooh. The very last album. And Jeez. it was all top secret. Um, you know, I, I don't know how much uh, he would want me to talk about the process, but I, I will say that it was like you had to take a different route to the studio every day so that people weren't following you. Because yeah. um, no one knew that this was going to be David Bowie's last album, but the band knew it was going to be David Bowie's last right, album. Right, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so... it's um, amazing. So yeah, and, and it's really cool too. I mean, the accolades that have come from that album you know, with the Grammys and everything and the band who was on that album. Um, it's really cool to see them never take the credit for those accolades. Like, Hey, we just got a Grammy and it's always paying tribute to David Bowie. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love anyways, that. But I, I reckon that might've been his point where he thought, yeah, I'm all right. I've done this. Do you know what I mean? You know what? Good point. Because I mean, <laughs> it, I, I've, I, I was just talking to somebody the other day. I can't remember who it was, but I was telling them like what it's like to make the decision to go for art knowing that you're sacrificing sales. So Jordan yeah. Rakai is a perfect example. Do you know who Jordan Rakai is? No, 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 no. Okay. No. He's a UK singer. Anyways, beautiful voice. I mean, somewhere in the world of like right between, uh, who's the guy that sings for Coldplay? Oh, uh, uh, Chris Martin. Okay. So somewhere between him and Seal, that's where Jordan Rakai lives. Okay. Like very good. But on a lot of his songs that could easily be radio hits, he's chosen to have Richard Spaven play drums in a very advanced conceptual way where it's like, okay, you made a choice. Fewer people will be able to accept this information, but it will hit them deeper. You could have just put like, you know, here's pop track number one drum beat underneath it. And it might've been a radio hit, but it would have just washed over them like another radio hit. Yeah. So, and, and I think that, people like Mark have made that choice. Like, I just want to make good art. I want to make things that I'm proud of. And for him to be able to do that with a superstar like David Bowie, really cool. All right, on Very to cool. story number two, rock bottom gig moment. <laughs> I've got a lot of these, mate. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that's, I think that I love that though. I love that though. Like every drummer. That's what bonds musicians together, exactly, right? Exactly, mate. We you, all have those same terrible experiences. You need them. And I think like, like being a musician and being like specifically rock you 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 go through a lot of these i think a lot of like hip-hop artists like i was watching an interview with this hip-hop artist the other day and he literally just got signed and then he had a top 10 album and just played never right. never played a gig in his life and i was like went from bedroom to stadium literally it's just crazy yeah. but we got <laughs> this was rock <laughs> bottom we had uh basically signed to island records put out this record none of us really enjoyed it none of us enjoyed the process we weren't happy with the record at all okay. looking back we were just in this bubble you know what it's like where yep you've just been signed 
and everyone's telling you you're you're amazing and this that and the other and we went to Rockfield Studios in Wales which is like where Queen recorded Bohemian Rhapsody and Coldplay and oh, all wow. these it's like a cool studio we lived there for like I don't know two three months or something um, anyway wrote this record recorded it <laughs> then following that record release which didn't do too well <laughs> we, we then um, we then went and played all these sort of major uh, festivals which were awful because they were very general public and we were doing them okay. because we were on Island Records and they wanted to push us in front of people that didn't know who we are uh, and it was just this classic major label of like yeah we'll put you on tour with Justin Bieber and it's like mate right. it, I don't care if we're playing in front of 500,000 people a night if, if we're on the wrong show nothing is going to happen yeah. positively at all anyway we played this one festival in Scotland and the UK listeners will know what it is it's called Tea in the Park it doesn't exist anymore actually okay. it, it stopped but it was huge it was like the Reading and Leeds of Scotland and it. it was absolutely massive and it was, it was amazing. It was like a dance festival, mate, basically. All your okay. Radio 1, all your like top 10 artists would play it. And there's Got us. It. And then, I'm, <laughs> I'm, half, I'm half Scottish. So most of my Scottish family come down, which was great for them to see me do this. And they've seen all the pictures <laughs> for our London shows and they know we've just been signed. So they're expecting like a, a flipping Foo Fighters show. Right. Anyway, so we play, we, 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 we get on stage and we realise that the tent we're playing is probably... I can't remember specifically, but around 10,000, 15,000 capacity tent, right? Wow. Like a big boy, right? Wow. That, that is normally... <laughs> That's like a... And it's, norm, it's normally full, okay? So it's normally full. So we get up there and we're having loads of technical issues and we're, we're not enjoying it in any way because we, we, in the back of our heads, we know we're going to be dropped. Like the summer right. has been awful because the record did terribly... Terribly. Anyway, we haven't got any of our regular crew. None of them, none of them are okay. with us. And uh, we start playing. We go out and we do the intro. Uh, I don't have click, which is great. So I'm freaking out. Oh boy. And then I do have click, but nothing else. So I'm like, that's fine. Just leave that. I'll have one ear, one ear in, one ear out. Just right. blast the click. As long as I know where we are, it doesn't matter if that I can't hit anything else. Right. I look up and there's one row of people, right? Oh, but the row doesn't even meet the sides. <laughs> So it's like, <laughs> yes, mate, like a sea of people should be there. And there's like one row of people in the middle, including half of my family. So that half of the people oh. there were my family and the other half were just sort of like people go, oh yeah, I know this rock band. I'll, I'll give them a listen. But because the vibe is so non-existent, no one's enjoying themselves. The crowd aren't, oh. we aren't. And then there's technical issues with the guitars because we don't have the normal oh. guitar tech. And uh, then we come off stage and to make it worse, Mike's girlfriend is a big pop artist. Okay. The singer's girlfriend. And she's a Scottish artist. <laughs> so she's blowing up at this point. I think she was even <laughs> playing the same festival and doing like a sold out show. So she comes to watch and we're like, oh my oh, God. So we, no. we get off stage. We walk straight into the dressing room and we quit. We quit the band there and then. We say this is... we've. Are we've, you serious? Yeah, we quit the band. We quit the band. Mike called his mum saying we've quit. And she said, Oh my God. She said, Probably best. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, mate, we were all yes. sitting there. All the crew are coming, like with a beer after loading the van, going, Oh God, that was a bit ropey. But anyway, who are we going to see? We're going to go to the pub. And we we're like, We just, we've just quit. We've just quit the band. Like, the record didn't do well. That was awful. Wow. Like, let's not put ourselves through this. Uh, and and that was it. We quit the band there and then, mate. That was it, done. <laughs> and then soon after, just to clarify to any LTA fans, you know, things picked up again and we got dropped and it was the best thing that ever happened to us. But that there were so many things wrong with that show that really did make us think, like, what are we doing? Are we trying yeah. to flog a dead horse here? But it was just, we learned so much from that one experience, you know? Like I said, wow. you know, don't say yes to a show just because it's big. Say yes to a so yeah. show because it's suited. And uh, yeah, so that that was one, wow. one of the times we broke up. Well done. Well done. <laughs> so I remember bad. you said like how bad it is to be added to the wrong tour. Um, there was this like gothic Halloween looking band called uh, Typo Negative back in the day. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know big Typo. Old, yeah. Like, yeah, big old gothic singer. So our band was like, or our label thought <laughs> it was, bro, whatever you had with Island Def Jam, 
I can't even tell you what it was like to be on Hollywood Records, which was owned by Disney. So had all the Disney connections, but so and had Disney's money, but so badly wanted to be a cool label. Oh god. It was like all the Disney people needing to feel cool, so they made a record label. And it, and had some massive hits and everything and Hollywood Records was a really big label. I mean, we we chose to sign with them over Atlantic and over Interscope and everything else because of the money that they had access to and the the deal we got. But, you know, we were on the Disney Channel on the Johnny Tsunami show and sponsored by Vivid Entertainment for porn stars. So the the dichotomy that was going on, you know, we're playing a gig at the Playboy Mansion and then we have to go do like a Disney signing later in the day. It was so crazy. Anyways, one of their brilliant ideas was like, well, while you get your touring legs underneath you, uh, you know, we're going to send you out with this band Typo Negative. And we looked them up and we we're like, what are you? Do you we don't we don't have like white face paint and black eye makeup and I, I don't own that much leather. So anyways, uh, this is not my rock bottom moment. This is just <laughs> we're out with Typo Negative and. I don't know if they're prompted to, but we had, I think, 16 shows over the course of about a month. So day on, day off, because they were they were actually a pretty big band. I mean, we were doing usually five to ten thousand seaters. So it wasn't like arenas, but they were yeah. they weren't club gigs. Uh, their their crowd from the second we walked onto the stage chanted F you <laughs> until we left. 40 minutes of huh, you, huh, oh you, God. 40 minutes nonstop. And it was just like, okay. Mate, that was our first American tour. We toured with the band called yeah. Asking Alexandria and Mule, like a death metal tour. And we were yeah. some four English lads playing punk rock. And literally <laughs> all I saw every night, yet again, same thing, big shows. Um, that was the tour we crashed on. So that made it. Oh, yeah. Uh, probably, probably the best moment of the tour, to be honest. <laughs> Um, and, and then uh, oh all God. I saw was just moss shorts and monster energy drinks and right. fingers in the air like that fingers the in entire the time just thinking what are we doing lads like let's let's just go home but anyway oh. let's get to, let's get to your rock bottom <laughs> dude well I it's you know I think we'll have to transition right into our most inspirational moment after this because mine isn't funny it's not it actually is kind of a rock bottom moment but it did lead to me becoming a full-time educator. And it was my very first European tour. We went out with um, a band called Filter, who eventually I ended up playing congas in and stuff or percussion, but went out with Filter. And this is at the time that their single Hey Man, Nice Shot was everywhere in every movie. So usually 10,000 seaters, if not a lot more, but that would be like the smallest gig. But because they were a big band and we were the opening act, we didn't have the ability to have that day off in between. We had to gig on the days off. So it was like festivals. We did a few festivals and we did this filter tour out in Europe. And the days off were pub gigs and, and like club gigs. But it was just us because we had to kind of keep building. Mm. And going from seeing 10,000 people lose their mind for filter to three people in Leeds, not give a, not Leeds, but like in London, like yeah, 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 not yeah. give a crap. I mean, really not give a crap. And just, you know, wishing we would get off stage doing that for a month straight every day, 10,000 people, three people, 10,000 people, three people. And it was like 10,000 for them. And they just sit through us. Yeah. Then three that did show up to see us and they aren't in, that impressed either. It was like getting to see, it wasn't a thing of like, well, you just have to build yourself. It's like, no, we actually, we don't have the ability to be those bands because we don't have the songs. It's not who we are. Like yeah. we are as this is actually as big as it's ever going to get. And it, and it really was like, I mean, we had like four more years of touring after that, but it was one of those things where it was almost like a lie. Like we were on huge tours, but it's because our label paid for us to get on those huge tours, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Or sometimes it was like a weird buy-in like, okay, you can be on the tour but our crew is going to sleep on your bus with you guys. It's like, yeah. okay. You know, yeah. it, was, it was always that type of thing. It was never, we are blowing up. And so I, even though I toured for six years, it was in the first year that I decided, I don't think I'm meant for this. And it was like, it was, I mean, imagine thinking you knew what your dreams were and then finding out your dreams aren't your dreams. Yeah, man, I've been there. Yeah. It was rough, man. Um, yeah. 
So, yeah. Anyways, thanks so much for listening to episode 41 <laughs> of The Draft. <laughs> We're out of here. Okay. So, after that, let's get into most inspirational moment of your career. Now, obviously, these happen to you and I day in and day out because we're always like, oh, bro, this just happened. And check out this video I just saw. So this could be something that triggered inspiration for you. It could be something that actually happened. Just an inspirational moment. It's a bit of a, I don't want to get too deep. Uh, it's, a, it's a combination of a few things that have happened this, this year and last year, I think. It's okay, a so very... season. Yeah, I think... The current Eddie thrower. I think turning 30 didn't affect me at all. Um, I think I'm turning... Oh, I'm, I, I know I'm turning 31 in July. So next <laughs> I month, think. I think. And that has been like, okay, life is going quick. So let's fucking do some more cool things, shall we? Like, wow. Let's, cool. let's go. And age has never been a thing for me. I've never been worried about that. Because to be honest, without sounding arrogant, I've done a lot. I've done everything I wanted to in life. So even if, even if, even if I was to die tomorrow, I'd be happy, you know? Yeah. But there is that sense of like, wow, like I want, I, I, I never want to look back and be like, I should have done more. I could have, could have done more. And I wanted to do more. Why didn't I? So that's a thing now where I'm like, I'm very impatient, but I'm even more impatient now. You know, I'm like, I want to be doing cool things every day. So and then time having, has kind of kicked you in the butt. Yeah, and then and then having Travis, that has been a very inspiring sure. thing. Where it's like this this drum thing, this music thing, has always been on very not unstable. It's not the word. It's it's you know you never really know where it's going. You never really have full yeah. control. You can just no control. matter who you are. Exactly. Yeah, you can just yep. control as much as you can control, whatever that may be. Yep. How however however much that is. Um, so that was a thing. But I, I think. I think like COVID has just taught me that like this, it, it, a lot of question marks over everyone's head, obviously. And like, you know, I've been working my whole life to be good at this instrument. Like you have, like everyone has and uh, playing in shows and stuff. And then, and then deciding to to teach as my main thing, like you did. And then just being, and then having it stop was like, Oh my God, like what is, is this, is this it? Like, can I not do this for a living anymore? What, what's going on and now yeah, when yeah, things yeah. are happening happening again i'm like oh my god it's just like i feel more inspired than ever to just like crack on and just do as much stuff as possible and not overthink and not procrastinate and just create constantly and just do this for a living and just not overthink because yeah, yeah i don't know it's a weird way I, I haven't really like described it that well but i think it's a combination of just like realizing that you know, anyone can do this. You can do it. Mm-hmm. It didn't exist in COVID, but nothing did. And like, you know, if you want to play drums for a living, just just fucking do it. Do whatever you can and do as much as it as, as yeah. you possibly can. Because, uh, yeah, I just think I think that's that's been a very inspiring thing lately. Having two positive, having Travis, which was an amazing positive thing, obviously. Sure. COVID, which was a negative thing, uh, and like a weird combination of a few things, mate. It's just re- I just feel so driven every day i'm like let's just do something let's create something so bit of a weird answer but no not at all i want to i want to give you a little bit of props um and by the way you don't have to click on that just yet um but i want to give you a little bit of props about something that you know most people probably don't know or they didn't internalize it and that is that when covid went down especially when quarantine happened and everyone was locked in their houses you and i behind the scenes had to deal with the fact that our market, which was the online education market became flooded, absolutely flooded. And every, and, and rightfully so everyone that used to be on tour was stuck at home. So people want to know like, well, Hey, I've always wanted to study with my favorite drummer. Now he or she's stuck at home. Maybe I can. And it was everyone's chance to be at home and cash in, make as much money as you can. Cause because of how unpredictable this thing is, the fact that you shut down your educational <laughs> website while everyone launched theirs, and it was because you didn't believe that that website was up to par with how you knew you could teach, how you wanted to be interacting with people. It wasn't your, it wasn't the pinnacle of your vision. Anyone else would have been like, yeah, but I could just leave it there and it'll still make me a couple grand a month minimum just by not doing anything. And you didn't. And this podcast was growing, so you were getting more people that didn't know about you to find out about you, and they would have studied with you, and it would have been not true to who you are. And just like as your brother, while that was happening, like 
I was trying to ride the fence so hard on advising you as a friend. Like, I can't tell you what to do, man. We're in such uncertain times, but point your compass towards joy. Yeah. Whatever makes you happy, do that and the money will follow and it'll be enough money to do whatever you want to do. It, you know, it's like you and I will go up and down financially for the rest of our lives because we're artists. But if you have enough income to make proper choices, then you're fine. And I think that when you did that, I was like, damn, I remember even telling Amber, I'm like, Eddie just shut down his website. And she's like, why? And I'm like, it's doing great. He just, it's not the website that he envisions. It's not the way he envisions teaching and he knows it can be better. So he's going to do it again. And so I just wanted to say mad props to you for doing that when everyone else was scrapping for the next dollar and cent. Cheers, man. I appreciate it. It was, it was a, it was a scary old time because I had to manually cancel everyone's payments. Oh. I, I had to like go through PayPal and cancel the reoccurring payments. And I had so many people, I had someone message me last week, mate, who, who hadn't logged in in that, in that, like in over a year. And he okay. just said, what, like, how can I, how can I get in? And I was like, did you not see the video that I said, you know, I'm just going <laughs> to oh cancel God. the payments and just, I'll, I'll let you know when I'm back up and running. And no like, way. I, w- I would have been happy to pay. And I was like, yeah, but that's not the point. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been happy to take your money. You know, like, right. that's that, and, yeah. and I, yeah, I just think that even that looking back and, so many people doing what we're doing and so many people talking about their membership or their Patreon page, like, which like you said, is completely fine. Everyone's allowed to teach and everyone's allowed to create content. But sure. I just, it just didn't, it felt a bit, you know, it, I don't know how to describe it really. It just felt a little bit uncomfortable that I was doing it or to, to appear to be doing it for the wrong reasons. But even that man, I'm like, you know, this podcast happened and this this was like the thing that I truly felt that was making a difference and helping and and uh i love doing it and like you said mate this this gave me joy and this does give me joy so this is what i've been doing and when when the time is right <laughs> not it's not even yet mate in a month maybe i'll relaunch it and right. but but yeah man so so yeah well, bit of a, bit i thought of a it was really answer. cool man and i and i think that like you know whether you can explain it or not there was a, a feeling that it it wasn't in line with your vision yet and you know, this break will allow you to be like, okay, I did the hard part. I canceled everybody's membership, which is, I mean, that's like, I've, <laughs> bruh, telling the wife, like uh, <laughs> you, the 80 students that I have right now that pay $120 a month, we're giving all of them to this other teacher. We have oh zero God. income. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm going to, but I'm going to do it on the web. The, yeah. the uh, wide world web, the worldwide, worldwide web, yeah. web, worldwide web. All right. Yeah. So here is, it's, it's funny. You said something like realizing like I can do this. Anyone can do this. I can do anything. So my most inspirational moment that I can remember in my career, and there have been quite a few that I could bring up for sure. Uh, all outside forces every time. It was always somebody else pulling me aside and saying something to me. And for me, it was right around the time that uh, that YouTube launched, I was lucky enough to find this uh, Steve Jobs video. And Steve Jobs has always been one of my, I know Juno, she's, she's like, don't talk about Steve and Paul Jobs. Um, so Steve Jobs is always a tough one because I don't agree with how he treated people. I don't agree with a lot of things, but he was... He, you know, and he also took a lot of credit for a lot of things he didn't do. Right. So it's not like I idolize Steve Jobs. I've chosen to compartmentalize and idolize very specific parts of him. And when I found this interview with him back in like, I don't know, 2008 or so, it honestly changed everything for me business wise moving forward. Um, and it was because of one line. And I'm, we're going to play the audio so you guys can hear it because I know I'm going to misquote it. But pretty much he said... Once you realize that everything around you was created by somebody no smarter than you and no more talented than you, then you can do anything. And I realized in that moment, there is absolutely nothing I can't do given enough time. Mm. That I was always thinking, well, I can't be an astronaut. It's like, true, right now. But what if I gave you 20 years, just like astronauts had? Yeah, I think I actually could. And I, I can't be like a physics professor. Like, what if I give you another 15 years? Like, yeah, I think I could. And I got to that point where I realized there's nothing I can't do as long as I, do you know, 
put the effort into it and believe in myself. So we're going to play that audio now. When you grow up, you tend to get told that the world is the way it is and your your life is just to live your life inside the world. Try not to bash into the walls too much. Uh, uh, Try to have a nice family life. uh, Have fun. Save a little money. Um, But life... That's a very limited life. Life can be much broader once you discover one simple fact, and that is everything around you that you call life was made up by people that were no smarter than you. And you can change it. You can influence it. You can, you can build your own things that other people can use. And the minute that you understand that you can poke life and actually something will, you know, if you push in, something will pop out the other side, that you can, you can change it, you can mold it. Um, that's maybe the most important thing is to shake off this, uh, th- this, uh, erroneous notion that life is, is there and you're just going to live in it versus embrace it, change it, improve it, make your mark upon it. Um, I, I think that's very important. And however you learn that, once you learn it, uh, you'll want to change life and make it better because it's kind of messed up in a lot of ways. Um, once you learn that, you'll never be the same again. And you and you weren't after watching that. I love that. No, I mean that that is probably the moment. Watching that video is when everything changed from money to legacy. Mm. I do not care, you know. And you know, we'll never probably get into it on this podcast, but you know the truth behind like how the finances work at my home and everything. And I'm out of the loop. Because when I was in the loop, all the decisions I made were to get more money, yeah, to make a bigger profit. And yeah. the only way to truly do things the right way for me was to give everything over and and be out of the loop. So I have no idea what's whatever's going on, but I do know that I want to leave an impact on this world through education and through drumming education. And that was kind of when I just started pushing towards like, what's the impact that I'm going to leave on this world through education and through helping people try to achieve their dreams. Yeah, mate. I think that's where I'm at now. Like 31 years old, done a lot of the stuff that I wanted to do. It's like, that's what I've been thinking about. I'm looking without going too deep. I, I I am doing that at the minute. I'm looking in the mirror, being like, "Okay, what? Like, what? What's what? What? What am I doing? And why am I doing it? Do you know what I mean?" And that that's the thing. When I sacked off the membership, I was like, well, "It just doesn't feel right." So let's just stop it. Let's just not even think about it. Let's yeah. just let's just stop it and like let's do it again when it does feel right. And I feel like, yeah, I like every time I walk Jackson at the minute, I'm like, you know, does everyone has everyone in the world seen me play drums? No. So let's make that fucking happen, shall we? <laughs> yeah. I love it. I absolutely love it, man. Yeah. Absolutely love it. And I, I think that that's once, you know, we hear all of the same inspirational speeches and all that stuff. I think that's one thing that I do love about that video is it's not an inspirational speech. It's like this secret clip of like, hey, someone was rolling tape when we asked Steve a question, but, and we got something incredibly insightful. Yeah. 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 Instead of like, hey, I prepared this to be delivered in front of a crowd. He clearly never knew where this was going to end up. So it makes it more genuine to me. But we've heard all the same stuff of like, you know, find your why and all that. And it's like there is so much validity to that. It's just unfortunate that most inspirational speakers all package it the exact same way. And it's like, I feel like you're selling me a book or, you know, a course that I have to buy. Yeah. So I'm always searching for like someone that did change the world and didn't know that this piece of content was going to live on forever. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that that's a, a super important thing for all of us out there. Like, why are you doing this? Does it make you happy? And, you know, and and if not, I mean, we've said it many times on this podcast, but point your compass towards joy. Whatever, you know, whatever brings you the happiness, put your effort there. By the way, for a lot of people, <clears throat> if having kind of a nine to five desk job allows you to at 5 p.m. point your compass towards joy, then that's just as valid to me. I'm not saying like, oh yeah, just you don't like your job, quit your job and be a drummer. Like, no, hell no. Then you're going to blame me for what happened next. Like, (laughs) that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying find whatever works for you. And in the end, out at at the end of the 24-hour cycle, 
are you happy with how the day went? Yeah. And I can tell you right now, it's not 24 hours of joy for me. There are some things that I have to do that allow me to have the majority of my life pointed towards joy. And so I think we all need to try a try harder to do that. And like you mentioned, COVID gave all of us a chance to reassess, like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Yeah. So, I mean, anyways, it's all about snare drums. And drums so <laughs> I love this episode though, man. I've really, really enjoyed this one because it's so true and it's just good to chat about that sort of stuff because I feel like yeah. everyone thinks the same, you know, and I, and if people are starting out on their journey, but you know, becoming a musician or a touring artist or a drum teacher or whatever it is, like you will have those days where you look in the mirror and you're like, what, where is this going? Like, I don't yeah. see any proof that this is working right now. And then yep. you'll look back and it, it was working. You just didn't see it. You just didn't realize it. And that's like the the very strange thing about this industry. And that's why it blows my mind when someone says like, how, you know, like you're an inspiration or you've done this, like you like people say to you and like I've said to you and it's like, but I'm just no different than you, mate. Do you know what I mean? I've literally just a guy who's just, just wants to just do things. And that's the difference between these people who are doing things on a large scale is that they've been doing things and more people see them, but there are, they are just a person doing things just like you are a person doing things. Absolutely. That's, you know, that's the part of that Steve Jobs quote that sticks out to me is like everything around you was built by somebody no different than you. And it's like, Oh yeah, I guess so. I guess the way that I put everything I had into drumming as a kid, somebody else put into taking apart radios and taking apart TVs. And that was their thing. And it's like, but it's exactly where you and I would be if we spent the same amount of hours drumming, taking apart TVs and radios. So, yeah. um, you know, it's not like, like, well, that he's he or she's a an insane engineer and I'll never be able to do that. It's like, it's where you put your hours. It's where you put your effort. And it's what brings you the most joy. Exactly. And nobody at six years old takes apart a radio because they don't like to do it. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. They only do it because they're like, I don't know why, but I can't not do this. It's the same and as it's like, practicing drums. And you're either going to be an engineer or a meth head. Yeah. Because <laughs> meth heads yeah. love taking apart electronic equipment. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, mate. <laughs> and it's the same with like sitting in a practice room for hours and hours and hours, you know, like, why do you do it? I can't explain it, mate. I just do. And it was, it's never called practice. It's like, well, I, I wasn't, I was just doing. That's yeah. what I do. Like, mate, yeah. I've, I've, I heard this amazing quote. I don't know where I heard it from. It'd be so funny if you turn around and you said, yeah, I said that like last week. But it was um, it was about like work and just doing something you enjoy for a living. And it said, mm. I, hope I, I hope I do it justice. It said, um, this, the, the, the key is to always keep it below the point it feels like work. And I love wow. that. And I love what that. A great, and I'm like, what a great concept. Yeah, like even though there are obvious things, to, you, you'd be an idiot to be like, oh no, it's just fucking just pure enjoyment. I don't have to think about right. anything business related. <laughs> yeah. Like, of course you do. But it is that like, remember like why you're doing it and have fun with it and don't think yeah. too much. And that's what I was doing, man. I was thinking too much and blah, blah, blah. But I'm very inspired now, mate. And I'm sure all of our listeners are going to be very inspired after listening to this episode. Can't awesome. bloody wait. Well, I'm going to listen back to it because I usually miss 90% of the episode while we're doing it. I'm <laughs> so, too, <laughs> too busy thinking about what I'm going to say next. Yeah. Everyone, if you enjoyed this, please do us a massive favor and give this podcast a five-star rating on your listening app of choice. If you can, write us a review. And if you want to be part of our quirky little family, please head on over to patreon.com forward slash drum with Mike and Eddie. And that way you can get in on the Zoom hang later this month and we can do a little pad lesson together. But for now, episode 41 is in the can. Bye-bye. Love this.